Hello and welcome to an episode of Everything is Canon, a Sunlings podcast. I'm your host, Steve Duncan. However, you may have found your way here. Thanks so much for tuning in. On this podcast, we invite authors from all genres onto the show to discuss their latest books and novels, as well as just about anything else that comes to mind. If you want to reach me, there are several ways to do so, but the best way is to email me at steve at cinelinks.com, or you can always find me on Twitter at stevedunk5 or at everythingcanon. Today in the show, I'm talking to Nikki Barthelmas all about her new book, Everything Within and In Between, which is described as Color Me In Meets I Am Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter, a deeply honest coming-of-age story about reclaiming a heritage buried under assimilation, the bonds within families, and defining who you are for yourself. Everything Within and In Between is about one young woman's journey to rediscover her roots and redefine herself. Using her own life experiences, Everything Within and In Between explores the dynamics of being a child of mixed heritage and navigating the in-between of biracialism with tight messaging, important themes, and thoughtful character work. We talk about her time in foster care, how she pulled elements from her own life and incorporated them into the story, allyship, the book of course, and much, much more. While this is a spoiler-free discussion, the odd minor detail may slip out, so if you haven't read the book and don't wish to be spoiled at all, better stop listening now, but please double back once you've read it. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. As always, around these parts, we encourage supporting authors and stories that affirm the lives of people other than ourselves. Each time we either engage in a conversation, whether it be online or face-to-face, or each time we participate in the market with our purchasing choices. Just a reminder that October is National Bullying Prevention Awareness Month. So we should all take the approach, if you see something, say something. And that may be hard in some instances, but it really could mean the world of difference to somebody who is a victim of bullying. And this, of course, should be done all year long, not just because the calendar tells us to do it. Um, I'm going to have to, I'm going to, oh, fuck, I'm going to totally screw up your last name. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it looks like, it looks like a trap because if I say it, how it's spelled, it's going to be wrong. I guarantee it. Say it how it's spelled. It, it looks like Barthelmas. Yes, that is correct. Oh my God. Nobody gets it. I am classically horrible at this. So Nobody this, gets it. Man, and I'll my, take it. My Mexican Spanish speaking family members have a really hard time with it too. <laughs> really? Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to take that win, man. All right. It's my if husband's you- fault. Sorry. <laughs> uh, you want to share your maiden your uh, maiden name or no? Yeah, my maiden name is Gray, so that was like the easiest okay. thing ever. And um, my mom's my mom's family's name um, is Almanza, which appears okay, in the book. So oh, even right. Almanza, yeah, yeah, yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah, even Almanza. So that's my mom's family's name, and that one that one I feel like is way easier than Bartholomew too. Okay. All right. Well, I like I said, I'll take the win. Nikki Balthor- yeah. <laughs> Barthelmas is the author of the young adult books, 2019's The Quiet You Carry and its follow-up, Quiet No More. While growing up in foster care, Nikki found solace in books and writing. Uh, she's a former journalist who currently lives in sunny Santa Barbara with her husband, daughter, and a diva of a corgi. When not reading or working on her books, Nikki loves advocating for the rights of current and former foster youth, jogging near the beach, and trying to convince her uh, abuleta, abuelita that feminism means it's okay that her husband does all the cooking. She's here today to discuss her new book, Everything Within and In Between, which is described as, Color Me In meets I Am Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter in Everything Within and In Between, a deeply honest coming-of-age story about reclaiming a heritage buried under assimilation, the bonds within families, and defining who you are for yourself. Everything Within and In Between is a powerful new young adult novel about one young woman's journey to rediscover her roots and redefine herself. Please welcome to the show, Nikki Barthelmas. Hi, Nikki. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled. Of course. Thank you so much for doing this. I was saying we sort of put this together last minute, and I am very thankful for that because I know uh, it's a very busy time for everyone, but as you approach launch dates, it's even busier for authors, isn't it? 
It is a situation. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we have a situation. Yeah. Um, do you got, what do you got going on for launch day? Anything cool or. So no, I don't really have anything going on for the actual launch on a Tuesday Yeah, and I'm not doing any in-person events because of the pandemic, yeah. but on the Saturday following the, um, the, the book release day. So October 9th, I'm doing a virtual launch with uh, Skylight Books, which is based in LA and being moderated by Laura Taylor Namey. Nice. Who is, yeah, she, oh, you know who she is? Of course yep. you do. She's fantastic. New York yep. Times bestselling author of Reese's book club, pick a Cuban girl's guide to tea and tomorrow. And I, she's a friend. We're both in Las Musas together and we're going to have a great time doing our, our virtual event Saturday, October 9th. So if this plays before then, hope someone can, some of you can check it out. It will. And I assume that'll be up on your websites and socials and all that stuff. All right. Um, Actually, I was going to ask you about this anyways. So great segue. What is La Musas? Talk to me. Yeah. Tell tell me what it is and then tell me how important it is not only to you personally, but also to the community. Okay. I want to make sure I'm, I'm just, because I would describe it, um, you know, my own way, but I want to see if I can do it with the, the, are actual language <laughs> well I, anyone can look that up though right like, okay, okay is okay. that a, do they have a website they must have yeah we have a website lostmusasbooks.com uh okay. i'm currently the new member or i'm one of the new member coordinators but oh, that sure. will switch over in the new year i've been doing that for a couple years so i kind of get the inside whenever when we get new members applying and coming in and i kind of get to see some of their information that they send in and welcome them and that's kind of a fun gig for me yeah so las musas is it's a group of um latinx uh women non-binary just basically you're not defined you're not a man and um gender identity aligns with femininity and we are writing and illustrating in the world of children's literature traditionally published children's literature Mm -hmm. and it's um it's a it's a book marketing collective but it's also like a supportive just just group of us who are amplifying each other's voices and in the, in the, in the world of publishing and in the greater world, but also sharing resources that aren't necessarily shared with people from marginalized backgrounds, uh, like ours in the Latinx community and just supporting each other. Like I said, I think I already said that. Yes, I did. Oh, say it again. It's good. Yeah. That's, the whole, that's the whole great thing about it. I've what are talked- words? I'm only an author. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that's like, that's key because, you know, I've talked to so many authors recently about who were, who've been products of either pitch wars or DV, DV pit and stuff like this. And this is a new thing, right? This is a social media age thing. This is an internet mm-hmm. thing. This wouldn't have been able to happen 20 years ago to, or whatever. Yeah. Right. So only a couple, a few years old were, were pretty new. I wasn't there for the first year, but I think yeah. I came on the second or somewhere around then. And it's, it's grown tremendously from what I understand. Oh, that's a great. And that's a thing. And also too, because I mean, fucking Lord knows the publishing industry isn't going to help you marginalized authors. Mm-hmm. So this idea that you're able to connect and form these groups and help each other. And I love this whole, like paying it forward. Like I said, with, you know, these things online with pitch wars and stuff where, where you'd be the mentee becomes the mentor in some instances, right. or I'm so in, it's like a weird, like, uh, you know, fetish for me. I just, it's like, I get off on it. Like it's so, I think it's just, I'm a big, I'm, I'm a big believer in that, like paying it forward. That's also like, and, and I love seeing that in the communities and the publishing world. And uh, yeah, I get off on it. It's weird. I know it's a weird thing, but. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great group. I'm really happy to be a part of it. 
and I've gained so much from it. And I hope that I can give back to, uh, once I step away from my, uh, new member coordinator role, I'll probably do more mentoring and that kind of thing. And I look forward to that. What does, uh, I mean, I could just look this up, but what's La Musas? What's that mean? The muses? Yeah. No, perfect. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> there you go. There's my Spanish for you. Um, <laughs> no, I was just like, oh gosh, I, I feel like I know that. <laughs> makes sense. Yep. Um, also, that's even probably tips that you had is the, even my French is how awful my French is, but because uh, uh, there are some similarities, but um, okay. Very cool. I love that. Like I said, I love that whole, that whole thing. Um, also, well, watch, I mean, that's what I take it to mean, but oh, oh, that's going to message and be like, oh, that's not what it means. It's like, oh, <laughs> let's, look, let's look it up. La Musas. Oh, there's the website. That's good. Am I right? Um, hold on. Uh, yes, the muses. Perfectly. Ooh. You're exactly right. Nice work. Um, cool. Well, that's very awesome. So yeah, lamuses.com, it looks like, is uh, is up there. It's the first thing that pops up too. So that's very good. Um, and also, yeah, I mean, I guess, it, yeah, we're in the middle. We're actually smack dab in the middle of um, Hispanic uh, Heritage Month, right? Right. So that runs September 15th to October 15th. So that's very cool as well. So um, yeah, I put, so I put go to our website and check out all of our authors and our books. That's what I mean. Yeah. I put up an article <laughs> a couple, at the start of it, just enlisted a whole bunch of, of, uh, Latine authors. Um, I'm saying Latine now. What, what do you think of that? That is such a multifaceted, complicated question yeah. uh, that I think has been perplexing, uh, many a people. <laughs> I, you know, I, I most of the time say Latinx, if I'm talking about myself, I'll say Latina. If I'm talking to like certain people, like my grandparents, I don't think they would know a Latin a or Latinx. I don't, I don't know if I said that right. I mean, people even say Latinx differently. Um, yeah. I wouldn't say it to like my grandparents cause they would not be amenable to that. Which one uh, X, X or Latin? No, they would just be like, Latina, or they probably would just be like, wait, why are we even talking about this? Like they, I right. mean, and throws it in the book or whatever. <laughs> that's, yeah, that'd be the first question. Like, who, the book who, is who, about who, this, but like the, right. the way that at least in my family, that generational divide of like how we talk about uh, ethnicity and culture yeah. race and all of that stuff is just so different. I had a conversation with my grandpa about this just like the other day too. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't speak to my peers the same way as I would talk to like someone older, or it depends on like where they are on that. And it's just like, I would never tell somebody what to say and what to be comfortable with because people have their different reasons. But I, I, I often say Latinx or if I'm talking about myself, I might say Latina or I might, cause I, you know, identify as a woman, I'm a woman. Um, Which I but, think is sort of the, is what the appropriate way to do it. Right. I mean, it, I guess the thing with Latinx is it doesn't jive with this, with Spanish like yes, the, the yes. language. Right. And so yes. I think Latine, like L-A-T-I-N-E, Seems, mm-hmm. seems to sort of jive a little bit better. I don't know if it's like fully jivable, yeah. but it jives a bit better. Um, so right. yeah, I just, so just recently I've been trying to, I've been sort of, I switched from Latinx to Latine, um, mm-hmm. just hope, trying not to offend anybody. <laughs> um, but well, language uh, changes. And that's why, again, yeah. like I, I, a lot of people, some people will be like, oh, why are you saying this? And they have, they get kind of mad about it. And it's just like, you know, language evolves and changes. Absolutely. And, yeah. Um, but like, also, I'll just sometimes be more specific and I'll be like Mexican, Mexican-American. <laughs> I'm talking yeah, about for sure. Like, which is, uh, which is great. Which is even sort of a nice way to do it. If people, you know, let's say someone's struggling with pronouns. Um, I'm like, well, then just say their name. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, instead of, instead of worrying, like if people, and I don't mean people 
refusing pronouns, just maybe right. wor- worried about screwing it up. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, if you're that worried about it, um, then just say their name and, and, instead of the pronoun. Right. But um, you were a journalist uh, before, according right. to your bio. Um, I was talking to a couple recently who actually uh, was a, was a journalist, um, Marco Shira, who we all love. Mm-hmm. And uh, was we were talking about this. And, it, you know, nothing, correct, please correct me if I'm wrong, nothing makes you sharper as a writer than having that deadline, does it? That, like that daily or weekly, you know what I mean? Whatever your, whatever your pace was. It's pretty, pretty incredible, isn't it? When you have to like write, when you're writing that much all the time on deadline, it makes you really sharp, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, first I, you learned something new. Mark is, they wrote a blurb for my first book and I didn't know that they are, or were a journalist. Um, Sharpen your ability. I tell, I say this and I've said it in interviews and stuff because I hear, I hear a lot of, although maybe I shouldn't, because then maybe it sounds like I'm like, uh, I don't want to sound like I'm putting anyone down, but in my experience, I never have the experience of, oh, I can't write if I'm not inspired because it was really beaten out of me as a daily newspaper reporter that like, if I didn't, my boss would kill me if I had, I was supposed to write the front page story the next day. And if it wasn't turned in, then there wouldn't be a story. And then I would get fired and I wouldn't be able to pay my rent. And I'd be homeless. <laughs> so, um, which is a bad so, thing. Yeah. Yeah. That is a bad thing. I yeah. would never, I, I have been homeless. I was homeless as a kid, but we're not to make it dark. Um, <laughs> so I, I was like, okay, I got to keep this job. This is a good job. And so it does really sharpen your writing skills so that you have to write quickly if you have to on deadline so that you can write about a bunch of different things, research what you don't know or understand, talk to a bunch of different people, which is so gives such like a, a, a rich experience as a writer, because I have a lot more experiences just from that short amount of time than I would have otherwise of meeting people and kind of trying to step in their shoes and tell their stories. Mm -hmm. And then also just dealing with working with an editor too, and not trying, not taking things personal and just not being precious about your words and just being like, okay, this is a business. Your job is writing, whether you do it full-time or not, like you're getting paid to do this. And and there are writers who aren't getting paid to do, and that's fine too, but like to treat, you should treat your writing like your job and give it the respect that it deserves. Mm -hmm. It's pretty, uh, like I said, I think it's very cool. And when you should get better at something, the more you do it (laughs) ideally, but uh, um, just it prepares you so well for, you know, sort of the uh, being able to get things on time and uh and makes you makes you a very clean writer again it should but not always the case maybe but uh pretty cool and was that something you went to school for yes i studied oh. journalism at in college at the university of nevada in reno mm-hmm. um so that was the plan i guess obviously you don't go to school without a plan i suppose but uh <laughs> what uh what what point did you decide to switch to fiction Well, so I, before I even wanted to be a journalist, I wanted to be an author Mm -hmm. and that happened in college. I started out college wanting to be a lawyer and which I'm married to a lawyer now. And then I worked for my old lawyer who was my lawyer when I was in foster care. And and it looks like a lawyer just saying that. Yeah. I had a, I had a, I had a lawyer in foster care and she was really great. And she knew I wanted to be a lawyer and she offered me a job. 
And then I was after working for her and she was wonderful and fantastic, but I was like, Ooh, this sounds boring. I don't want to do this, <laughs> which is really, which is really immature by the way, because there are a ton, I should have looked into it more. There are tons of different kinds of lawyers. So just because I didn't want to be that's that right. Kind of <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Doesn't mean, but, you right. know, I still think I made the, the right choice for me, but so anyway, yeah. then I went from wanting to be a lawyer to, I think for like a semester, I wanted to be a therapist mm. and then as, as young, I was just very malleable. And I ran into like a childhood friend who was like, Oh, her and her family were like, Oh, you don't want to be a therapist. You have, you, you should be out like interfacing with the public. You're, you know, good with people and speaking or whatever, which, you know, after listening to this podcast, you be the judge, but, (laughs) and so then they were like, you should go into public relations. And I didn't even know what that was, but my school didn't have a specific public relations program. It had a journalism program and PR was within that. And then once I was in the journalism school, I was like, oh, writing, this is what I've, I've always been a writer since I could do anything. That was always my thing and how I got through life in so many ways. And I just hadn't considered it. Mm-hmm. And then, um, but like in the, in the intro, it, between all of those things, my secret ambition was to, I loved reading and I didn't really think it was a job that I could have writing books, but I started anyway and just didn't tell anybody because I thought that they would like make fun of me and say that there's no way it would happen. But so while, once I started in at the journalism school, sometime around there, I started writing and secretly wanted to be an author, but just didn't know that I would be able to get a job with it. That was a really long answer. <laughs> no, that's cool. Um, was it, you said therapy, physical or psychotherapy? Oh, no, like it was psychotherapy. psychotherapy I, yeah. For like a hot minute, for like two months, I think sure. I wanted to do that. Understood. <laughs> I was like, I um, have a lot of therapists. They're pretty cool. I could be a therapist. <laughs> when you, um, so you were saying people were like, you know, maybe not like trying to dissuade you for being an author, but just sort of maybe giving you a bit of reality about, you know, the. the no, like, it's the, not even the, that anybody would. No, I didn't tell anybody. So no one did. Oh, okay. I just assumed okay. that they would say, no, oh, okay. Great. no, it's impossible. Like I just assumed that they would not take me seriously and kind of laugh at my pipe dream. So I was just like, no, I'm not going to tell anybody Okay. for a while. It didn't, it, you know, didn't last. I, a few years later, I started telling people that that sure. was my ambition, but it was easier to tell people once I was a journalist and getting paid to write, then it felt like a little bit more possible, even though it's still wildly hard, difficult. Right. Um, geez, I wish I knew there's somebody else that wants to be a journalist. I wonder who that is. Um, so you were fostered. Oh, it took me a second you, you, to get you, that. I was yeah, like, yeah. wait, what? <laughs> yeah. It's all coming together. It's all coming together. I wasn't Don't the worry. kind There's... of journalist that Re wants to be in the book, though. She wants to be a travel journalist. She wants to get I... around, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah, I wrote yeah. for a daily newspaper, and so that's local. Right. And then, and then I also, after that, I was a freelancer for magazines, and those were national magazines, but, like, I wasn't going around doing anything right, for it. Right, so right. it's different. But, yeah, that's funny. It took me a second. I'm like, what's he talking that's about? That's all right. That's all right. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, you were, you were Ray. Talk to me about uh, being a foster kid and also talk to me about being homeless. So I, I don't know, maybe talk which came first and then how long were you in the foster program? Okay. So homelessness came first before, yep. before, so, so to go into foster care, typically people have to be abused or neglected by their family, you know, yep. their immediate caregivers and then not have an extensive network of anybody who's like, you know, willing to, to go th- jump through the hoops or not acceptable to be a, a caregiver. Mm-hmm. So through um, or in the state's eyes. 
So the reason I, my um, father, who I am estranged from had, well, both of my parents, um, I had a really volatile traumatic upbringing. Like they uh, owned an escort service when I was a kid mm-hmm. and uh, there was drug abuse in the home. There was physical abuse. I went, you know, then they, when they split up, I, I went with one, then the other. And um, there was a lot of uh, the reason when I was homeless was when I was living with my dad and he actually had a gambling addiction. And so we would sometimes we were never really secure in our housing situation because, you know, someone with a gambling addiction, they go spend all your money and then you don't have a place to live. You're paying your rent. How old were you? How old were you at that point? Oh my God. I don't actually know. So it was only the one. So you can, it depends on what you consider homeless. I think the definition would be you're homeless. If you are living on the street or if you're in a shelter or if you're in like a motel or a car. And so I lived in a homeless shelter for like a week and I kind of guess I was around eight or nine Okay. Um, at the time, somewhere in there. And then there were times when we lived in motels together, our family of five, I've I had two siblings and then, or in my grandma's studio apartment with her, just so we had a place to go, all of us. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I, it depends on what you consider homeless, but those were all times that I, you know, did not have adequate shelter in my view. Right. And, and that was before foster care. And then I went into foster care at 12. Um, my, my dad went to jail for something unrelated coincidentally. And, um, I ended up in a group home, like a temporary group home, but I ended up, it was supposed to last like a couple of weeks. Like they told me not to bring more than like a week's worth of clothes from my house when the social worker showed up, but I was there for like six months. Um, I, I can, I liken it to like a halfway house or like jail for kids who didn't do anything wrong. Cause there were just so many rules and, uh, it was just really, there were, I think there were 10 of us kids in that first placement I was in. But anyway, I spent six years in the, in six different towns in the six, yeah, six, just bouncing around. Sorry, I'm getting my sixes mixed up. Six years um, moving between six different towns in foster care. Starting uh, at age 12. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, What was the, what was the age of the kids you were with? Was it all the same or was it a range? Like, do they separate them or like, do they keep the young kids away from the teenagers or? Um, so, you know, when like, I was, like, I think, sorry, I think my, my real question is, is maybe like, is 12 a normal age for people to enter foster care? Oh, or? you know, it just, it, you can go into from the second you're born to sure. when you're 18 or even now with the laws, now it can be 21. You can choose to stay in foster care, which just means that you're, you're signing away your right to leave at 18 to continue getting resources from the state, which wasn't an option for me when I turned 18, but you can go in at any time. I mean, the times that I was split up, I'm thinking back um, many, many years before foster care, when there were issues going on between my parents, um, I was temporarily in an orphanage, which is a whole different ballgame. And in that case, they had us separated by age and cottages and because it was just like a huge situation. But, um, I was in a lot of different foster homes. So in like the first one that I mentioned where there were like 10 of us kids, you know, there was a baby there who was in foster care and was uh, obviously we all were and was addicted to drugs because the mom was on drugs when she was pregnant. Mm. And so, and then there was the oldest ones were teenagers in high school. So all, all ages in that group home. Um, I can imagine it wasn't great, a great six years. Um, 
So you're in, you're in foster care, you're in the system, you're getting moved around six times is a lot. Maybe it's not a lot. Oh, no, six towns. So six, I, I would, okay. move, I probably was in nine different placements. Sometimes I would return to this. So I was in a home I see. Okay. and then they would get mad at me and then they would send me back to the group home until I like behaved better. <laughs> so, oh, were like, you uh, like a bit of a miscreant or? No, they were no. just jerks. <laughs> were they? Okay. That, no. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I'd buy that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but not to, well, okay. You know what? I was a teenager. So was sure, I a miscreant? Right. Yes. But I was a teenager, but like, if you're in foster care, okay. So let's say you go to a party and you drink or you smoke some weed or whatever, and you uh, have lived with your parents, what are they going to do? They're probably going to ground you, take your phone away. If you go to foster care, what's going to happen? You're going to go to jail. You're going to get institutionalized possibly. You're going to have to move towns, move, move homes or whatever. So, you know, I did things that normal kids did and I was a pain, but I also like my mom had died and my dad was a, the real miscreant. So like, anyway, I guess I, it's kind of like my, my like goal in life, well, among many goals is to be like, you know, the way that people perceive foster care, foster kids isn't really fair because they don't get the opportunity to be just like normal kids. And if they do act out, it's because of their background. But if they also do act out, like imagine what would happen if you acted out, not you specifically, but you know, the collective you with like parents who like send you to get help or whatever. So anyway, love, (laughs) sorry, (laughs) tangent. Uh, yeah, I had, no, I mean, listen, I've, I was very fucking like privileged in the sense that like, and I was a bad kid. Um, but like my parents just had this, uh, seemingly endless well of forgiveness and, and, and even culpability. Like I had just was allowed to bring alcohol home at a very too young of an age. Um, and they just said, that's fine. But they were sort of had this attitude, like, we'd rather you do it here than be out mm-hmm. elsewhere. So that was sort yeah. of their, their thing. So, um, yeah. I look at me now. Uh, and uh, <laughs> so were you, how were you feeling emotionally? Were you feeling, uh, cause I, I, I would imagine you, the, you know, hope is not something that, you know, is, is, is a common, common characteristic in these situations, but definitely correct me if I'm wrong. Cause I have no experience with it. How are you feeling? And like, wh- at what point did it start to turn where you started to feel like, okay, maybe, if you felt like you didn't have a shot, did it start to feel like maybe you did have a shot? And I just mean like at life. And I don't mean, yeah. you know, enough. And of course not fame and fortune, but just having a normal fucking life, like not f- having just something to call your own, for example. Yeah. Well, I was stubborn and spiteful. Yeah. So if if anybody went and because many, many times people just like in general expected the worst from me, they all thought I would end up like my parents. I was accused of, you know, like, I remember somebody had drugs once and they all assumed it was me, but it wasn't right. um, when I was a teenager. Uh, so people always expected me to fail and expected me to be a bad kid. And, um, you know, a lot of people, when that happens, when you expect the lowest um, denominator from them, they just are what you expect them to, because they feel like they can't do any better. So why try? Mm-hmm. But for me, it's like, well, screw you guys. I'm going to show you and you're all going to be wishing you're as cool as I am. Um, and so that was kind of what motivated me, I think a lot. Um, so like anger or just, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but like no. at the same time, it's not like I was a super high achiever. Like I, you know, uh, in high school, I was kind of a stoner for a while yep. and I, 
I was and still am. It's okay. Yeah. So I, I wasn't. <laughs> hey, you no know worries. What? No worries. No, no, no yeah. judgment here. Yeah. Um, and so like, and I played sports, but it was no, it was no accomplishment by any feat because I went to a tiny high school where like you had a pulse, you could play the sport. Like sure. <laughs> they just needed bodies on the bench. That's right. Um, so like I did all these things. Right. But I wasn't like really good at anything except for writing in English. Um, so, you know, we can talk about that more broad or more specifically if you want, but I was just like, so I didn't have like any reason to have any confidence. And I wasn't like in those early years of just being kind of a partier. Cause I was a miscreant. I just got like, let me tell you why it's okay yeah. <laughs> about it. But, um, you know, I, then I would kind of turn it around. I kind of oscillated between that and being like, no, I really want to be accepted and loved. And I felt so empty and not good enough that like I had to, I felt like I had to achieve something for anybody to give me any attention or for me to feel worthwhile or for them to think I was worthwhile. So, so then that became kind of an avenue for seeking attention and acceptance. And I think I did that in a lot of ways with my ability to excel with, with, um, writing and, and my, uh, formative years. Yeah. Listen, I think we can all relate to that part specifically wanting, uh, wanting Pete, wanting to be liked, wanting to be loved, even wanting, and, and even just more a sense of just like wanting to someone to look at you and be like, yeah, okay, they're, they're doing okay. Um, you know, they're not what we thought they were, for example. Um, mm-hmm. So I think we can all relate to that. Um, some of us, you know, have an easier road to that than others, for sure. Yours, your road was much more difficult than mine. Um, but I can relate to that part of it for sure. So, you know, in that sense, you know, we'll say anger was a gift, <laughs> stealing a line. And uh, <laughs> um, what was the first big moment, though? where you were like, was there like an aha? Was there maybe someone in your life, a teacher, or I don't know, whoever, was there some, was there like a specific moment that you would look back onto now and say, that's, that was the turning point. Turning point. So I have, I have a few moments where I realized that I had a talent at writing, Mm -hmm. but I don't know that it was a turning point for me uh, in terms of like, I'm going to make something of myself kind of thing. I don't think it really connected that way. But in terms of just like, uh, I liked the, I liked the positive feedback I got. I can yeah. think of in seventh grade, Mr. Scott. And by the way, I wrote, I, I mentioned him and my acknowledgements for the quiet you carry for my first book. And then I tried to track him down and he had, and he was an older man and he had just died probably the year before my book came out. Cause I tried mm. to find him so I could tell him, but, um, Mr. Scott in seventh grade, I remember when I turned in my essay, I have no idea what it was about. And seventh grade was the year that I went into foster care. And so I think this happened probably a few months before that happened. Mm-hmm. And he, he came up to my desk and he put the paper on and it had like big red, hundred percent, a plus great job written on it. And then he went further than that and told the whole class about how great my paper was and how, you know, they could learn something from me or something like that. And I was like, <gasps> it was like, that was the high right there. Like, and there were, there were incidences like that instances like that in my, in, so that even if I was kind of being this, this, um, troubled talking back kid that I, that I was that, okay, well then my English teacher junior year asked me to like help, or was it junior or sophomore year or whenever, I don't remember. It, this wasn't very nice for her thinking back. It was nice to me, but it wasn't nice to the other kid who was struggling. She asked me to help 
another kid who was having a hard time, right. but I think she did it in kind of a public way. And so I felt very buoyed by that because she was um, saying like the strongest student can help you kind of thing. Right. But now thinking about it, I'm like, oh, that was kind of a jerk move um, for her for the other guy. But um, so there were just, there were, there were things like that that happened that I was just like, oh yeah. And I didn't want it to go away. I didn't want, that was like the only thing that I felt that was like kind of good about me or special. And so I didn't want that praise to go away. So I kept working on it. Um, I'm glad you did. And listen, um, Nikki, you were dealt a fucking pretty bad deal there. And, uh, you know, the fact that you came out on the other side of it, I, I'm presuming in a good spot. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you're, maybe you're in hardcore therapy. I don't even know. Uh, hey, I am in therapy, but that's okay. <laughs> no, there's a, oh no. Let's, hey, I've, I've been in it too. Uh, a lot last year. Uh, no, nothing against that at all whatsoever. I'm a big fan of it. A big proponent of it. Um, uh, yeah, you had a pretty fucking bad deal there and uh, I'm very happy that you came out on the other side of it, the, the, you know, the way you did. And I, you've got a family now and a Corgi, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is the, which is the sign of success, right? A Corgi. Right. Yeah. Um, he has a Corgi. So Corgi's, basically we're like the same person. That's right. Um, so I just want to say I'm really fucking happy for you, Nikki, because that's a bad oh, deal. Can I just say though that before I, yeah. what I'm saying, anyone thinking this, like I wouldn't recommend that like you should be getting your self worth from like other people validating. No, 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 you have. Like no. I don't think that was healthy or good. <laughs> no, no. Well, no, it's well, but I mean, there's also no right or wrong way to do it. I mean, listen, um, that's great. You know, maybe for when you're in in a, I'll just say for lack of a better word, normal situation, right? With a with a maybe a good, strong family unit or whatever, but listen, you got like, you went through some shit and I'm sure there's a lot of stuff that you don't even talk about, or you're certainly not going to tell me a stranger, but um, you know, you do what you got to do. Right. And you, you had to do it that way. And that, and that worked, you know, knock on wood, thank God, if, if you <laughs> believe in God or whatever. Right. So you, that's the way you had to do it and it fucking worked. So I don't think there's any right or wrong way to deal with that stuff like that. There just isn't. And yeah, you're right. That's not going to work for some people. And don't, yeah, don't seek validation just for the sake of seeking validation. You know what I'm sure I, I is to your point and I agree with you, but at the same time, sometimes you're in a hole and you got to climb out of it and you got to do whatever you got and you got to do what you got to do. Um, so anyways, I'm glad you're here talking to me. That's about, that's my point. Me too. Yeah. Pretty fucking cool. Um, the summary is way too long and I hate asking you what the book, what's the book about, <laughs> <laughs> but the summary is way too long. Give me uh, you know what? Cause anyone can look it up on Google, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Just, I could do it. Yeah. I'll yeah. It. You got a really, you got like a quickie, quick version. Well, sort of. I okay. mean, it's quicker than the, the back cover. Okay. So oh, everything well, within, I could do it. I could do it. Okay, I got go. it. All right. <laughs> everything within and in between is about Ree Fernandez, who is mixed in Latinx, but has light skin and who is trying to connect with her heritage by reconnecting with her absent mom. And well, actually trying to connect with her heritage by learning Spanish mm -hmm. and um, doing that to try to reconnect with her absent mom. And then, um, and also her heritage and keeping it a secret from her strict Mexican grandma who um, has kept her from both basically. Um, there are very important reasons why grandma's the way she is for sure. Um, I want to start with the most important character in this book in many ways. Um, Brittany. Wait, how was my, how was my, um, summary? Was that, that was right? good. Yeah, that was good. I mean, listen, I'm a summary nerd, so it's like, uh, I'm very particular about my summaries because they're, they're not all are equal. Um, it, it can't be too long. Can't be too short. Can't give too much away. 
you know what I mean? So, but no, that was good. That was good. That gives you the gist of it. Um, so I think the most important character in the book is Brittany. And I just wrote a piece on allyship for that. I don't know if you saw that book, Allies, that just came out. And yeah, check it out. And so it's a bunch of authors sharing stories about allyship in general, whether uh, they themselves were an ally or, or times in their life where they maybe should have been, but weren't. And, and all, it's all marginalized authors. And then instances of where just horribleness, you know, fucking thrust upon them and they could have used an ally, for example. So uh, I was talking about that book and talking about my journey to allyship. Um, Brittany, these conversations are happening right now as far as how do we deal with, there's this thing like old habits die hard, right? Some words are just been in, been in our lexicon for so long um, it, you know, we're, it's going to take some time for some people to stop using inappropriate language. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's how we react to that in its most current context is, is how I think things are going to be able to move forward or not. We all have friends that make mistakes and say the wrong thing occasionally. And it's how we react to those mistakes. I think is, is what's important. Please disagree. If you disagree with me. Assuming they're a good person too, of course. Now, if a fucking Nazi walks up to you and says something stupid, like <laughs> just you know, tell them to tell them to bugger off. But if it's a close to your friend of yours and they say something inappropriate and you correct them and you move on and they promise to be better and they do better and they rec- you know, reconciliation is such an important part of it, isn't it? So, in a lot of sense, Brittany to me is represents a lot of people right now that are struggling with not only having to look themselves in the mirror and realize maybe they've said things in the past or done things in the past that haven't been cool at all. And to me that, because that takes up such a huge amount of space in, in America right now, I just thought that was really important. And the lessons that we learn reading this book through Brittany is so important. Talk about that a little bit. Well, first I want to say that I was surprised when you said that she was the most important character to you because I would not have expected anyone to say that but though that just shows kind of how people come to a reading experience and they take out of it everybody is so different and things are so personal and so I I find that really interesting and she is obviously if I who I would say the main characters are would be number one Re and then her grandmother and then Brittany so I certainly do well it should always be the lead characters (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah, for sure but I mean like it just like you're saying how important she she because I'm a white dude and I just seen, I see more Britneys in my world. Uh, you know, so I see a lot of Britneys too. Yeah. And I think that it, it can be really, really frustrating because there are so many people who get, so when you kind of dip, it doesn't even always have to be gentle. It's, it's kind of, I, it's frustrating how the burden is always on the person who is marginalized to kind of like soften somebody else's BS toward them, but it is. That's just how it is right now. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people, but like, no matter how, and in my own experience, no matter how soft I can come to people, I, the defensiveness that comes back with like, oh, I'm the least racist person you'd ever meet. And then right. they'll say, well, I dated such and such, or I did this. And you're like, oh my gosh. Okay. Um, <laughs> I have a black friend. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Like, Congratulations. Love yeah. Your medals in the mail. Right. Um, <laughs> so, um, but exactly. Yeah. So I think that you know, that could have, that character's journey could have, Brittany, it could have gone a a totally different way, you know, and, and it does in life a lot of the time. It does. And I've seen it go the other way in other books too. Yeah, for sure. And, um, but you know, the thing is, is like, 
if we're being, if we're being open and honest and if we're all trying to be our best selves and if it's someone, you know, Brittany might not have listened to some of the same things that re was bringing to her if it came from somebody else. But a lot of the time you see a lot of people who, you know, they, they are, they don't want to look in the mirror with their behavior and the way they think. And then sometimes fortunately they do because somebody they love, they, someone who they love dearly and someone they're really close with confronts them and says, Hey, you got to shape up you're we're done. And that happens in so many ways in so many different kind of marginalized communities, not just one related to ethnicity. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes those relationships can't be salvaged. And, 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 you know, Re also could have just decided, no, there is no chance for you to do better too. She didn't owe it. You know, she didn't have to, but you know, they had a history and they, they love each other. And so they, you know, I think that's the hope is that there can be hope in, in situations like this. I feel like I'm not being very articulate, but yeah. Well, the, the, the interesting thing I liked about Brittany though, was um, she kept fighting for Ree's friendship and like would give her space, you know, when needed, but I felt like she kept fighting for that friendship and it took a while for her to really understand where she had gone wrong, but I just, I don't know. I really thought that was, that was kind of important. Um, you got to want to understand. You have to want to. And the, right. And the, and the difficulty in those conversations a lot of time is, and I've read this before from other authors who, who've experienced kind of similar things where you, when you finally have that, that, that honest conversation about what's been happening and it's, it's a fine line where the, the offender uh, starts portraying the victim. Yes. And the, the offendee, the offended, in some cases, will even start like saying sorry. Yeah, then they're like <laughs> the bad guy. It's like right, that, right? So, yeah. right. That happens a lot. So like you're I, a bully. You're a bully because you told me how I beat That's how I beat right. 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 <laughs> well, woe is me. It's, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah right. And, uh, and, you know, not too spoilery, but you didn't do that. I, and I appreciated that. Um, nobody gets away with anything in this book, which I thought was really cool. Um, one of the, uh, I mean, high school is hard enough, but now you have high school and all this shit going on in this book. But uh, an interesting, <laughs> an interesting thing I thought too in this book was so, um, Grandma um, uh, Carmen is so she she works for a wealthy family and she call, she keeps calling herself their assistant, and I wonder what they would call her. Oh, they'd probably call her um, their housekeeper. That's right. That's right. And I love, and I, and she always kept referring to herself as the assistant. And I always thought that was, that says a lot about her, obviously. And we, and because this is, that's one part of the whole, the whole thing with, with grandma, where she's it's so important to her that, you know, Maria do well in life and status is important. Things like speaking English is important. Being light skinned is important so she can pass as white. All these are issues that you bring up and it makes grandma a very complicated character. Um, and I know your, I think your grandmother was important to you in real life. Um, and just of all the things we've talked about leading up to now, a lot of similarities between you and Maria and talk. So let's do a little Nikki versus Maria here. Okay. <laughs> she goes by re she goes by re that's true. Um, <laughs> Uh, I am very close to my grandma. I talk to her every day on FaceTime. And if I don't answer the phone, she thinks that I'm dead or worse that I don't love her. So, (laughs) right. So let's do reverse. Carmen. (laughs) 
What's that? And her name is Carmen. <laughs> is it? Is it? Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, no, that's okay. That's very cool. So, all right. So let's do Ree versus Nikki then. Sort of. No, talk no, no. Her name is Car. Is Maria Del Carmen. Oh, I see. Okay, okay, okay. So she's um, named after everybody in this book. And that, then there's Nora Almanza, the teacher. My grandma's name is Maria Del Carmen Almanza. <laughs> hey, that's all right. Hey, tr- pull from true life. That's what it's all about. Yeah, I mean, it was a tribute to her. I, I yeah. dedicated the book to her. Right. Um, so yeah, let's do Reeve. Okay, Reeve versus Nikki. Nikki. Tell Sorry, me what's, tell me uh, like where things start to fall apart is how you're like, and and how you're not like, what's, give me a couple of things that like Marie's like that you're like, no, I'm definitely not like that. Oh, I thought you were going to ask how we were similar. I feel like that's easier. How am I not like Brie? Okay. Um, ooh, gosh. <laughs> make it too like, easy. <laughs> how are we not alike? Um, how do you feel well, about so cocaine? How do you, how, ask, hey, how do you, I'm, hey, how do you feel about cocaine? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, done cocaine. no one will get that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, yeah. Okay. Well, so I have, I have done that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, that's all right. Uh, yeah. So, hey, kids, don't do it. It was a really bad thing that I did. Sure. Um, It wasn't the greatest night of your life at all. Yeah. No, it was not. (laughs) It was not a good choice. Um, So, um, how are we different? Well, so I was about to say, you know, Ree's a lot more of a hothead than me, but if you ask my husband, he'd be like, no. Right, right. right. Uh, I have been told I'm very feisty. So, I think that is probably not true. We're probably both hotheads. Um, I think that re is probably a lot more likely to bottle things up mm-hmm. and I just like vomited out on the world. I got a problem. You're going to know about it. Yep. And she is, um, a lot more like secretive and sneaky. Whereas I would just like, if it were me, I probably would just argue every single moment of the day. Instead. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that does strike me as similar is this feeling of not being enough, which is what we sort of talked about with you earlier right mm-hmm. um she definitely re definitely goes through bouts of that now that's not necessarily her own doing some of that is sort of implanted in her from grandma right who not to say that she doesn't think re is enough but this this idea of to achieve the american dream you have to be all that you can be in that you know ivy league schools lawyer doctor you know this this really top shelf type of shit right um to you have to succeed to the highest level um and so she's putting all this pressure on re just talk about sort of that that whole idea of of privilege so as far as the um re's grandma she wants re so none of those things were accessible to her right she she can't get any of those things people judge her because of what she looks like people judge her because of her accent they think that she's not smart if she doesn't speak English perfectly and um, she doesn't want that for re so she thinks okay well you you look like this you have light skin you're an American nobody would know that you know your family is Mexican if it, if you didn't tell them so like why would you tell them something that makes my life her makes her life harder mm-hmm. um, makes her judged and mistreated and so why would you like put that face forward and um and she just thinks that like she she sees how difficult her life is her life is her life is basically just putting food on the table and working so hard and then re is her whole life and she's doing it all for re but like there's not a lot of time for quality time to spend together because all she's doing is working and so she thinks that if re 
gets this, you know, qual- this fancy degree and has this fancy job, then people will respect her and that her life will be easier. And that's what she wants for her. Right. And that's not necessarily true, but that's, that's her perspective. That's right. And, and one of the nice things I liked about grandma too, is um, she's definitely hardcore and there are reasons for everything she does. And, you know, some of them aren't, you know, and some of the things she does in this book aren't nice. Like they're, you know, it's pretty grandma makes some decisions that you're not going to agree with. Um, <laughs> my husband had to describe when my, when we were giving my offer copies just arrived. Yeah. And my grandparents came over that day and uh, my husband had to like take great paints. Cause I wasn't with her. I was with my grandpa. I was um, just giving him a ride somewhere real quick. So my husband told me when I got back that like, he had to like, take great pains to describe to my grandma after reading the jacket copy and like hearing how strict and kind of mean <laughs> grandma could be, but that's not her, <laughs> which doesn't make it any easier when I name her after her, but I'm no, like, no yeah, that thing. didn't help. I promise yeah. it's not you. Yeah. 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 Um, um grandma yeah. has a really great arc in this book herself, which is really cool. Cause you don't see that a lot in stories like this, where the elder, uh, the elder statesman of the book doesn't get this type of arc usually it ends up being any 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 direction that we go with that person ends up being either just directly tied to or as a result of the lead character's arc um you do a really interesting thing where you sort of like split you know past the halfway mark anyways and give grandma a really fucking cool backstory and i thought that was really really cool really well done too um thank you we, we like I said, we don't get that because usually in those cases, those people are so tied to the lead character. It's as they go, they go. But you really do a really cool thing here. We do give her her own story. She she becomes the hero of her own story, and I thought that was really fucking cool and really important. Um, a couple more, I'll let you go here. This idea of not being able to choose your parents uh, really important, obviously, to you in real life and, (laughs) and, uh, and in the book too, this this idea where we don't know uh, about Ree's parents. And that's part of her journey is finding out about her real parents or not her real parents, just her parents. Um, Talk about this, this sort of thing where you were sat down to write this out because there's a scene where there's an apartment scene in this book where I was like completely stressed out. Like (laughs) I was, I was a mess reading it it's incredibly tense if you you know we don't want to get into spoilers here but talk about this idea of um hoping wishing for something and it doesn't necessarily turn out that way now maybe good or bad right but talk about this idea when you sat down to write this book about how you were going to have this this idea this thing this whole thing play out for re um you know, with keeping in mind, I'm having a hard time asking this question without spoilers. Uh, <laughs> uh, talk about just just sort of having that this thing with Re, knowing you were going to put her, get her on this little adventure, and and if you thought about how it was going to end or not when you sat down to write it, or did it sort of organically come about uh, as you started writing it? I think I can answer this question in a personal way and yeah. I can going to tie back to, I think a okay. lot of foster kids are like this too, Yeah. but um, so 
it's easy to come up with the, a whole story for someone if we don't know what the story is. And Reed does this with her grandma kind of too, but I don't right. think she's very imaginative in it. She just kind of assumes she knows. And so when we don't have the facts or we don't have, or we don't have a person who we're yearning for, um, you know, we imagine why, like, you know, a lot of kids growing up without a parent, you know, they don't want to think of, um, you want to think that there's like a really good reason. Maybe they, they can't be around. Maybe they're like in the witness protection program or like the FBI or something. You get like fantastical ideas. I'm thinking to, um, you know, foster kids or kids who are adopted or, you know, myself, I knew who my parents were growing up. So that wasn't, although I still, I think I, for the most part, always tried to assume the best, even when the best wasn't there in many circumstances. Right. So I think we all love, we all start off and even end to a degree, just really loving and yearning for family and loving and yearning for parents, even if in spite of them not being perfect and, and, and being really damaging in their behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just really easy to, and I think people do this with um, just romanticizing, not just like families, but the thing they don't have, like romanticizing, like the career that you want to have, well, it's going to fix my whole life. Or, well, when I find a spouse or boyfriend or girlfriend or whomever, well, whatever, I think we kind of um, build things up in our head. So I don't know if that answers your question. It, yeah, yeah, much better than I was asking it. Um, <laughs> you know, Re, yeah, Re has this this idea of what her her real parents, what her parent. I keep saying real parents, and what her parents. Well, it's because I know it's because yeah, I probably because we talk so much about my background. That's yeah, of what her parents are like, and she has this vision in her head, and you know, a lot of this book is about having to come to terms with what they're really like. Um, and what they're not like and all the reasons why she is living with her grandmother. And it's really important. It's an incredible journey. I think she goes on. It's, it's like, this is, a, this is a slice of life tale in a lot of ways. I mean, it's inconsequential. Well, the mom has reasons for what she did too. Even if, you know, yeah. we don't agree with like the mom kind of has, in my opinion, like if you look at, if you imagine how the grandma, you know how the grandma is with Ree and you imagine how it was with that, but times 10 when her spouse, when the grandpa was alive too, and they were both really pushing a lot of this stuff. I, um, oh, if I made it sound see. like, right. If I made it sound like Marisol is, is a villain or anything like that. No, there's none of that. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. Um, well, I cut you off anyway. Tell yeah. me more. Nice no, no, things. I'm just, I'm just sort of saying, <laughs> no, to your point, you know, a lot of this is what Ree has built up in her own mind. And a lot of times when we do that, geez, you're just, you're asking for trouble, aren't you? Because, and that can go either direction, right? I mean, even if someone's, even if someone's made up to be a villain and they turn out to be a good person or vice versa, um, what we end up with is something in the middle and it's something tangible and real. And I think that reality, that tangibility isn't always going to jive with your life or your expectation. It may, you know, happy at, you know, whatever happy endings are supposed to be, that's for movies. Um, and I think what re I think re learns a very important lesson uh, about expectation in this book. And I feel like a little privilege that we're here for her to learn that, which I think maybe for the first time. Um, so there's, you know, I had this sense of like, it was a real honor to see re go through this type of experience. Cause I know she'll be better for it in the end. And whether relationships get repaired or disconnected or whatever, I think it's just a really important lesson for anyone out there reading this book. Um, 
I just, uh, like I said, this book, I think the messaging is so tight. It's clearly personal. Uh, we didn't even like, there's so much we didn't even talk about. We didn't talk about Carlos <laughs> who's something. And, uh, <laughs> he, um, there's, there's a great cast of friends in this book and I just really, really appreciated so much about this book. As far as that, like I said, the messaging is concerned. I thought the, I thought it was the incredible amount of just impartiality to it. Like no judgments I thought was really important. It's a slice of life. It's so, it's a really kind of inconsequential tale. Like it's a slice of life tale in the sense that like, this isn't, you know, no one's world is being changed here dramatically necessarily. Um, but because it's, but it is very important to these characters in this little corner, tiny corner of the world. And I love the way that I love it when small stories like this play, play big messaging. You know what I mean? I think it's really important. And whether you, whether your intention was to like speak, you know, broadly on these topics, I think that you did. And I think you did it very well, actually. Um, and again, I, yeah. And again, understanding how personal this to you, it just adds that much more weight to it after learning more about you and your personal story. And uh, like I said, I'm very, I feel fucking privileged to be able to talk to you even about it because I understand that things haven't always gone great for you and to see you now and talk to you now. And here you are this great author and, you know, family and corgis. And um, I'm sure grandma's very happy. I hope she's happy. I hope she's proud of you. Yeah. Oh, she's so, she's my biggest fan. And you know, my, my Almanza family is great. And we, um, there were, there were some people that I kind of lost touch with, uh, with all the stuff happening in my life. And as yeah. I got older, but reconnected older, but I, my grandma was always there for me. And I know that I talked about my background and how foster care is for people when you don't really have anybody. Yep. Um, grandma had an illness and that's why she wasn't allowed to care for me, but she was always like yep. always there, always showing up. And, uh, you know, I don't have, um, I don't have like a very traditional, um, extended family by any means, although I was, um, adopted as an adult by a teacher that I lived with in my late teenage years. And she's really great. But my, my grandma has kind of served as that surrogate mom. And so you didn't ask me how Bree and I are alike, but we are obviously alike in the fact that I'm like, you know, have that half, half, half of me is, um, from my family is from Mexico or Mexican American, but yeah. I also have light skin. You know, I grew up not knowing where I was fitting in besides foster care, but like dealing with, you know, see, having people say microaggressive things or racism and not thinking they were directing at me, but they w were without intending it or seeing how people like my family were mistreated, but I wasn't. And, um, you know, some of the ways that I've seen some people, even in my family, want to assimilate. So it is very personal to me. And, and also, I wanted to learn Spanish, and I'm working on it. Um, <laughs> so I started off writing this book to, in a kind of a way of self-discovery. And I feel like I learned a lot about myself and what it means to define who, who you are for yourself and not just let other people do it for you. And I feel very lucky in that regard. Yeah. And like I said, I was sort of, I didn't uh, purposely leave it out. I was just trying to save some of the stuff for the readers, but. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, that's all right. No, that's okay. Because that, everything you just talked about is very important. You know, this, I, this, you know, colorism and passing and even, and, and, you know, not unastonishingly more so within the community, which is something that uh, you touch on in this book. And that sort of ties into what I was talking about earlier with, with grandma's 
story, right? Her background, her arc. Um, and when we get to that point in the story, really important, really incredible, uh, and really heartbreaking. And talk about sacrifice and, you know, doing things for the, for the people you love and for your family, your little small nuclear family, right? Um, very important. And I like, again, I'm not trying to gloss over it. I was just trying to like save some stuff for people to discover on their own. But uh, yes, very important. A lot of biraciality in this book. Uh, like I said, you, the messaging is tight. <laughs> like there's just, there's no, uh, there's nothing, nothing in this book that seems um, certainly not inappropriate, but I, I, I don't handle without care. I think is the best way to put it. I think you handle everything with a tremendous amount of care and thoughtfulness. And again, that comes back around to the fact that it is personal to you. And um, you know, I, I also blog for We Need Diverse Books, so we don't you and we don't use own voices, but you know, this is essentially, you know, you're using your voice to tell a story and your own personal experience. And I think that comes across in a very important way. And I think it's fucking pretty cool. So. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate uh, that. Yeah. So October 5th, right? Am I Correct. wrong? Right. Um, and you talked about having that event there on the weekend after. So we'll uh, make sure people know about that. And they can go to your website and check that out. And of course, online, all the socials and whatnot. And uh, I know, you. I don't know, how are you? How are you on uh, uh, release eve? Are you a sleeper? You, you, you up all night? What are you? What's your deal? Well, I feel like it gets. I, I I get more and more anxious and stressed. Not because I'm worried about like. It's more about all the stuff I have to do. Like, okay, we have this interview, this essay to turn in, the, all the stuff that has to happen. Yeah. And I feel like once once the book actually comes out that day, it, I won't have all that because most of it will be done. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but you know, so I'm stressed about the things that are within my control. So all my deadlines, all the, the virtual events, all the things I signed up for and signed on for, which are all good things, but you know, just having a lot of stuff can be stressful, yeah. but like I, I have to sleep. I have a baby <laughs> or 21 month old. Okay. So like I'm, I, I, I will do anything. I'll take the the Unisom or whatever. Just let me go to sleep. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's different. You know, I know some people that sleep, sleep like a baby the night before and some people are up all night. So it's different for everybody, but uh, no, I feel like I'm all, so I guess to answer I'm always yeah. anxious. I am are an you? anxious okay. person. I'm yep. always, always anxious. So this is just like hyper, hyper anxious and just like, ah, but it's more about like, I think that I think I hope that once Tuesday rolls around that Tuesday, the book comes out, that is that like some of that will be relieved just because, well, okay, well, it's kind of out of my hands that That's you know, right. all That's the, right. the giveaways, all the, the events, all the, you know, the virtual events that is, then it's just like, well, you know, people are going to get it's it. All, or, I mean, well, I it's, it's, yeah, it's already well past being out of your hands. They're going to yeah. like it. Or they're not going to like <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I That's mean, right. I can't, I used to, I used to worry so, so much, uh, before the quiet, you carry. Well, I've always worried. Everybody always thinks my books are just completely based on my life that are like, and they're not, they're really not like I'm writing an essay about this right now. That's going to, mm -hmm. um, hopefully I won't say where, you know, just in case it doesn't work out, but that is about, um, uh, how writing what you know doesn't necessarily mean writing directly on your life experience. Sorry, I'm taking a really long time to answer your questions. No worries. M my thing is, is that um, the thing that I used to be nervous about more, I, I used to be more nervous about would people like it or not. And of course I want them to like it. But I think that I, even more so than that, it was just every single thing that happened in the books, everybody assumes 
it is a completely based off of my life yep. that happened with the quiet you carry. Cause I was in foster care. That's with this book. I'm certain because of the, um, you know, so many of the similarities between me and re. And so, um, it would mostly be like, I'm an open book about a lot of stuff. Like when this, the interview had barely started and I was like, Oh yeah, my parents owned an escort service. But like, so like I am pretty open, but when everybody assumes that everything I write is like my life story and it doesn't matter how many times I tell them like, no, actually, this is, I'm a fiction writer. This is not a memoir. So I used to get more nervous about that, that, you know, and I also don't want to like, if that were the case, then I, you know, like I said, my husband really had to explain to my grandma, like, look, this is not you. (laughs) The grandma is not you. (laughs) Um, But I think that there's just like so much out of your control as an author. I cannot, I've heard this said, and it's so true it's not mine anymore. The book isn't mine anymore. People are going to think what they want to think about it. They're going to like it or not. No matter how many times I say it's not, Re is not me. Victoria is not me from the quiet carry. Like either they're going to think that or they won't. So like, I just kind of have to let it go. Yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, that's because like art is process, right? Once it's out, like I'm holding the arc right now in my hands. I can, I could just throw this in the garbage right now if I want. Right. I could burn it. I could burn it. I could do whatever, but what I can't take away from you is the process part of it. The writing, the, the crying, the, the laughing, the whatever's right. The frustration of writing it, that (laughs) process of writing it. That's something we can't take away from you ever. No one, no fucking idiot on social media, (laughs) no Goodreads person, no whoever can ever take that away from you. So um, to your point, yeah, that's, that's the stuff you get to hold on to. That's yours. That's personal. And you know what this book is about more than any of us do. And you know, what's, what part of you is. But it is, it is the reader's book though, too. So like there were, you, you said some really nice things about, you said some really nice things about the care that was taken. And that wasn't all me. That wasn't just because of my background. That was like, um, having a Latinx editor that was having, um, sensitivity readers that was having, you know, that, you know, there, I wanted to do it well and I wanted to do it right, especially because there are so many misconceptions about, um, you know, my community, but at the same time, like, I can't speak for everybody. Um, I can only speak for myself, but, um, but I think that I, I just, this is embarrassing. I just totally lost my thought. What was the last thing you said? <laughs> oh, I don't remember. Um, just about, you know, what's yours, what's, you know, the, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, it, it, you don't want to write. I remember now. Yeah. I remember. I remember. Um, it's the reader's book now though, because you know, now I can't, everybody's going to read it. And when you were reading this, I couldn't like sit over your shoulder and be like, oh, well that that's okay that I did this right here because x y and z that's why i did it and that's why you know what i mean like i yeah. can't do that but like it, it it isn't mine anymore no i know it it's everybody's who reads it and they're gonna take just like you um when you know we're like oh britney is the most important or whatever somebody else it might be the grandma somebody else it might be read but it's it's now the reader's book and right. experience and i hope the reason that i write from I, I begin with something that was really real and true to me, whether it was an experience or mo- more than more than often than not, it's a feeling that I've had and a concept, something that I've had to work through or wanted to work through or didn't understand. Right. And I think that's, I hope if readers connect with my books or feel like they're authentic, it's because the feelings are real and that it can be real, real for them in whatever way they need it to be. Sure. Um, no, I get what you're saying. Uh, my, my whole thing is like, you know, as long as you're not doing that, as long as your intention isn't to write for them, 
right? Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no. yeah. That's all. Like you write for yourself, and because at the end of the yeah, day, sure. at, the, at the end of the day, you have to be happy about it. Um, Correct. That so, is true. Right. So that's sort of uh, what I meant, sort of by that point. But uh, yeah, no. I mean, listen, you're. It's also a job, right? <laughs> like you've got to. People have to. It's important that people like your book. I get that for sure. But at the end of the day, uh, it's more important that you like your book, right? So. Um, yeah, I, I want to be proud of what I put out there. And, and I mean, I don't even, I, I think that there are always going to be people who don't like what I do. And, and that's, that's all right. You know, because if everybody liked everything that everyone else did, that would be boring. I agreed hundred um, percent. So on that note, it is coming out October 5th. And uh, I think you have something to be proud of here, but uh, you know, I can't inject that into your veins. You got to figure that out. You got to figure that you got to figure that out for yourself. So I think you should be proud and not, like I said, even, even just what I said earlier, not just, just the fact that uh, you know, of, of, of your story is so important, your own, your own story and that you've come out on the other side, it seems mostly well-adjusted. So, <laughs> um, you know, that's people, a may, people may have their doubts after this. That's right. Well, I know. No, no, I don't think so. Um, so I, Nikki, I can't thank you enough. Like I said, I know this was sort of, we threw this together last minute and I, I very much appreciate it. And, uh, and like I said, I am a fan of this book and I very hope it, it does well. And I hope it finds readers that, that appreciate it for what I think it is. So, um, having you, said Steve. all that, I'm, yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate being on. Thank you for taking the time. There you have it. Another episode of everything is canon all wrapped up. Huge thanks to Nikki for taking the time to chat with me. Everything within and in between is a great story that is sure to resonate with so many first and second generation Latin Americans. I highly recommend it. The book is out now, so pick up a copy wherever you buy your books and head on over to NikkiBarthelmas.com for more information. As always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you choose to listen and head on over to sendlinks.com for the latest movie, TV, books, and gaming news. Please continue to be safe out there. Bye for now.